in you were it'll come and get you like a curse so your sins never finish with you What's happening, everyone? Welcome back. It is Jay Scott, and it is The Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Thanks again for stopping by and giving us a listen. We always do appreciate the time you take. And please don't forget to write us a review at the end of the episode. Let us know what you think of what we're talking about and who we're talking with. We always do appreciate it. And as well, we are part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, the great network of music-related podcasts. There's a lot of different podcast music related podcast on that network including the official metallica podcast so check that out when you get a chance as well as all the other shows on pantheon pods you can follow them at pantheon pods on instagram twitter and facebook as well as pantheonpodcast.com on their website and you can follow the hook rocks on all three of those platforms twitter facebook and instagram at the hook rocks and don't forget to set your app to automatic download so you get the latest episode right to your phone and all the recent ones we've done so you can enjoy. We've had some great episodes recently. We just welcomed George Lynch, the incredible guitar player from Dockin and Lynch Mob. Great conversation. It was the fifth time he's done the show. Love always love having George on. It's always a great time. Prior to that, we had John Notto from the band Dirty Honey, who just visited us while they're on tour. We talked with Don Dockin, the old singer from Dockin 2 as well, about their new album. We talked with Tracy Guns on the passing of Eddie Van Halen and his friendship and relationship he had with him, as well as some great new artists and bands as well. Parker Barrow from Alabama, Emily Wolf we had, and Rogue Royal from Minnesota. So please check out all of those. And we've got another new music spotlight for you today, one that I think that you will enjoy, and it is the band King Falcon, and originally I was going to be inter- uh, interviewing Michael, but we've got the whole band on for this episode, which I'm really excited about. What's happening, gentlemen? How are you? Good. How are you, Jay? Super excited to be here. Awesome, man. Awesome. Why don't you guys go ahead and introduce yourselves? Well, I'm Mike. I am the lead singer and guitar player of King Falcon. Uh, my name is Tom. I play drums. And I'm James. I play bass. So we got the the uh, the whole band the trio, things always come in threes, right? Great things always come in threes, right? Good number. Yes. Yeah. It's a good number. So I'll, I'll ask this question of all three of you. We always start the same way every time we have a first-time guest, and that is really what the essence of the show is all about. Just like every great rock song has a hook that pulls you in, every rock fan has a moment, whether it's a song, an album, a band, or performance that hooked them on rock and roll. Was it? What was it for each of you? Sure. So it's funny. Uh, we we kind of all share one thing in common, which is it's a little silly, but um, all of us kind of started by playing Guitar Hero and then moved on to actually learning a real instrument. Uh, and I think it's a, a, a common thing shared by people of our generation because there was a, a sort of lack of Guitar Heroes for a little while. And then the game came out and sort of brought this attention back to rock and roll and guitar centered music. And uh, that's kind of how we fell in love with it. Me personally, though, uh, as if I had to point to one album, it would be Pink Floyd's The Wall, which I listened to with my dad, um, you know, in the dark, pro- proper as you do. The only thing we were missing was like a joint, but I was like nine years old, so I was not going to be smoking any joints. <laughs> That's yeah, probably a good I mean, one. like, <laughs> like Mike said, Guitar Hero and Rock Band were the things that kind of transitioned me from being a kid that just loved video games into somebody who actually had a passion for something a little more, you know, a little more uh, rewarding, I guess, for, for myself. Um, but yeah, there was a, a few bands that come to mind. Guns N' Roses was maybe the first band that I fell in love with. Uh, but then Iron Maiden was kind of a really big band for me. And uh, they were my first concert. I saw them at, saw them at Madison Square Garden uh, when I was in middle school. And ever since then, that was kind of like what I knew I wanted to strive for, you know. 
Yeah, and I think for me, uh, so it was definitely definitely a guitar hero rock band. Um, you know, I did less of guitar, so I was more rock band. Um, but I also had a couple of family members that were, uh, you know, musicians and DJs. So I was always surrounded by music, um, but it was never the right genre for me. And I, I discovered then, you know, in my maybe 12, 13 years old or so, um, I was really into rock. Um, I got into a lot of 90s and 2000s uh, pop punk stuff. So Green Day, uh, Blink-182, Fall Out Boy. That's really where I fell in love with music, I think. You guys mentioned rock band and guitar hero, and a lot of bands from your generation do mention that, do talk about that kind of stuff. And the question is, when you were playing as a video game, right, did you have any idea of who these bands were, or were they just the selection of songs that were part of the game? It was really just the music. Yeah, for me, honestly, it's funny to think about, but every time I would play the game, you know, as you progress through the game, there's different um, milestones that you hit. Like the first one is you get like your first endorsement from a guitar company and then you have like your first big gig and then you like you have your first manager. So as a kid, I kind of was like, oh, well, I I, we just need to kind of go and do that. And then like we go get ourselves a record label and then now we're, we're big and famous, you know, so um obviously the road in real life is way longer and way harder than that uh but in some ways it's not too different because there's just a whole bunch of milestones that you hit along the way uh and i think that's kind of what it was it's like i don't know you you everybody wants to be a rock star at, at some level uh especially when you're a kid yeah the game had like mike said like a story kind of esque part to it um, which was really cool. And I remember also like really getting jazzed up about seeing you go from like a small club and then you're playing like a bigger venue later in the game. But um, I do remember, specific- I didn't know anything about the bands that I was hearing. I didn't know anything. It was my first time hearing Iron Man by Black Sabbath. You know, I didn't know who Black Sabbath was or anything about them. So I was really, uh, it was just a great exposure to a lot of different music for the sake of the music. Uh, you know, you don't really have that much context behind the bands that you're hearing. But in a way, it kind of allowed me as a young kid to just kind of like get an unbiased exposure to a lot of music, you know, and that was really a great foundation for my for the passion of music. You know, When you are playing that game and you're hearing all these songs and then you see these bands, whether they're in videos or in concert. What is that translation like? What is that bridge like? Like hearing the songs, really not knowing the the imagery, not knowing how they perform, and then you see them. What did any, or if anything, changed because of that? Because of being able to see what they were about and how they would perform. Not too much. I remember they had uh, Virtual Slash in Guitar Hero 3, and then I actually saw Guns N' Roses live, and he was just like that. I mean, they did a great job with it. That's uh, props to the people who made that game. Yeah, and even if I didn't know the artist, like, learning more about the artist and, you know, eventually seeing some of them live in concert, seeing their documentaries on how they recorded the album, whatever it was, like, getting more into the, to the musicians was, if anything, like, elevated the whole experience you know it made it even cooler because it was like oh like there's people behind these songs that i that i've been playing and that i like i didn't know that like there was a guy that was a tour manager for this band like there's there's a whole world that i don't know about you know it kind of it's just what sparked the interest but then the real magic i think was kind of diving into it and like yeah finding this whole world of of uh musicians and occupations stuff like the music industry so to speak what's amazing about the rock and roll experience is you definitely hear things with your ears you hear the music but you also listen with your eyes which is from the generation that i'm from you had the great front men whether it was axel rose whether it was bruce dickinson david lee roth all these freddie mercury all these guys that just owned the stage and had the crowd in the palm of their hand right and you listened with your eyes back then because you saw these guys i mean i don't know if you've ever seen videos of freddie mercury at live aid or at wembley stadium just absolutely he's manipulating the crowd because they're just they're they're taken with him and that was just always a great experience for me growing up is like you hear the songs on the radio 
And I remember the Us Festival in 83 was the big first time that I saw these bands perform on stage, whether it was Ozzy, Van Halen, Scorpions, Triumph, all these great bands. And to see that and then have the music, the music just took on a whole life of its own with that. It was just amazing how it kind of like put turbo uh, juice into gasoline. You know what I mean? It was like, whoa. Well, you know, it's, it's it's good to hear you say that because um that that's just the power of live music man you know yeah. and especially when you have somebody who is obviously a, a major talent uh but even on the local level i mean we've we've toured with a lot of bands where every once in a while we see somebody who absolutely blows us away and it's a killer show and and they have great crowd interaction and and, and you just can't take your eyes off of them so it's just the power of live music sometimes you're there and it just really affects you in person in in a way that uh the best recording can't do when you think of live performances, like, you know, you mentioned Iron Maiden, Tim, about how, you know, you saw them at Madison Square Garden. And I've seen Maiden so many times, right? I mean, I, I've, I, I, I know how many times I've seen them. And it's just, it's like the circus comes to town. You know, yeah. I mean, it, it really is a spectacle when you. That was part of, yeah, I really noticed that. I remember one of the reasons that that concert experience was so visceral and like i still remember it is because i remember that was the first time i saw so many iron maiden fans in one spot like i walked outside and there's just a line of people and like everybody has vests with patches and like like album covers like like the fear of the dark album cover which is like not the most popular album and it's, but it's one that i knew so like to see like some of the deep cuts kind of being represented it was like that was a really cool part of it feeling like you're around, you know, like, like-minded people. Um, so yeah, it is kind of like the circus. It's like, Oh, it's a bunch of crazy people like me. Watching the crowd at an Iron Maiden show is almost as good as watching the band. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's insane. Because everybody's screaming, yelling with their fists in the air. I mean, it is like, wow. You know, I mean, this is absolutely just incredible. I saw them one time at the Aragon ballroom in Chicago and it was when, Music, rock music that I knew kind of went away for a while. I mean, all the bands that were there before grunge, which I love grunge music. I love that era, like really had a problem with maintaining their popularity, maintaining their fan base because the music world had just did a complete shift overnight. So they had a singer, Blaze Bailey, which uh, replaced Bruce Dickinson. And they were doing smaller venues. And I think this venue was, I think the Aragon Ballroom, which they used to call the Aragon Brawl Room in Chicago, because it was just crazy and wild, um, had 3,000 people. So we had, my friend had tickets, but after they put the tickets on sale, they announced that Blaze Bailey was leaving and Adrian Smith and Bruce Dickinson were coming back for the tour. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So, so this is like late 90s. Yeah. Yeah. We're right on the, on the, on the, on the fence, right? What do they call it? Um, on the line or whatever. Like we're like, First people in, there's the barrier in front of us. So Maiden comes on. I think the term is on the rail. On the rail. That's it. I I couldn't think of the term. I'm on the rail. I'm like 24 at the time, 23. And uh, Bruce Dickinson comes on and the whole crowd just surges forward. And I'm on the rail and I'm getting like, I had to extend my arms out the whole show. So I wouldn't get crushed by the crowd. It was, it was it was terrifying when it while it was happening, but at the same time, it was incredible. It was awesome. <laughs> like having that fear while listening to Maiden in, in, in like all these emotions are going on. It was just a incredible experience. <laughs> yeah, that sounds crazy. That yeah. sounds like an insane time to have seen them live. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it, it was, I mean, I find it interesting that guitar hero and rock band are so prevalent with, like I said, bands of your generation, because I do hear a lot about that. And then to follow up, I hear a lot about Guns N' Roses. I hear a lot about Green Day, Metallica. You know, these are the bands that are very common with the new wave of rock and roll. When you're creating, when you guys are creating, obviously you've been influenced by a lot of different things. How did your sound develop as a band? Sure. So it's kind of interesting because uh, the bands that we listen to sound nothing like how our band sounds. Uh, so our band often gets compared to like the Strokes or like White Stripes or Black Keys or kind of in the, the alt rock neighborhood. Um, 
but that's not really what all of us grew up listening to. All of us grew up listening to number one, very different things. But me personally, um, you know, it was classic rock. It was Zeppelin. It was Floyd. Uh, it was also some Green Day, which James and I have in common. I mean, that was one thing that was together. Um, but yeah, I mean, like like Steely Dan, like all that kind of stuff, which is not what we sound like. But what we do have is kind of um, uh, melodic. Um, uh, the melodies sound very familiar because we're we're kind of speaking a language of like sixties and seventies rock and roll. But the production is super modern. You know, like Tom grew up listening to metal. I mean, he's a mating guy. Now he listens to like modern metal, which is really great to have in a drummer, by the way, because then, you know, your drummer can play absolutely anything if they can play crazy metal time signatures. Uh, and, you know, James, I mean, I, I don't speak for you, but just, you know, I, I know the music you listen to. Like James grew up listening to Green Day and like ska and like... Everything's like melodic, bass lines, you know, very short, concise, but like you remember them. You know, and that's that's what I always took from that. Yeah, so all of those things, like Tom's crazy drums and like my kind of overly thought out guitar, and James is like really um, solid bass lines rooted in like um, like repetition and kind of memorability. Yeah, uh, all of that comes together, and um, then somehow it ends up sounding like alt rock at the end of it. So I, I, <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny. Like when you break it down, it does kind of make sense, uh, but if you just see it on paper. Uh, it's hard to but imagine how does all how... that get to this. Yeah, I think another part of it too is like you guys have been developing your own sound in your previous band for a few years, and then you kind of evolved. And then when I saw what you guys were doing, there's a little bit of like, how can I fit my style into this sound? Because when you're coming into a band, you don't want to like screw up the sound that they have going too much, or you want to like figure out your the way that you can elevate it and kind of like. Uh, make it something you know that's greater than the sum of its parts so um yeah that's a part of it too like i'm bringing my influences in but only through the drumming you know like i'm not trying to like change the vibe that they had going too much but maybe just elevate it a little bit with you know little neil kurt yeah so qu quick story if you're not hip uh for the first two songs that we put out shake 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 and when the party's over james over here was actually the drummer uh, and that's when Tom heard us and was like, man, I'm really kind of interested in this project. So James said, screw it, I'll play bass. Uh, he likes running around on stage anyway. And we got Tom as a drummer. So that's kind of how that happened. When you guys talk about your sound, was this something that you were striving for? Or was it just getting you guys in a room and this is what came out? It was pretty natural, I think. I, I don't think any of it was intentional. Um you know, when we were making the record, we did make a whole bunch of demos. So there's 11 songs on the record, and we made about 50 demos. Um, some of them are a little bit far out there. I mean, James plays saxophone on some stuff, and, like, you know, some of the stuff was, like, a little bit harder and uh, maybe a little bit funkier, a little bit more, like, dance tunes kind of thing. And I think all of us um, kind of sat back and listened to um, all the demos that we made and the thing that stood out most, like the commonality was what ended up being the uh, sound, the sound, you know, yeah. uh, like, like not the weird outliers and more like, um, the, the meat and potatoes of what was there at that point. It's kind of like a curation type process where you have all these songs in front of you and you're kind of just picking what, what you think is the coolest and what the band thinks is the best work. And then just by that process alone, you end up with, songs that reflect the the three musicians that kind of picked them you know yeah plus if you have a natural tendency to sound a certain way if you write 50 songs your natural tendency is going to be very clear to you you'll you'll hear what you sound like if you write that many songs if you only write three songs you have no idea what you sound like so you kind of have to go and and do a little bit of an exploration into writing and and you know different sonic things that that go to like you know there, there's a huge difference between um you know, a band that has a horn section and a band that doesn't. I mean, those are two completely different band identities. So making that decision is one. Um, yeah, just just a lot of different ways that you can you can make music and uh, and interpret the same idea. You know, when you're developing that sound and you're writing all these songs, it's kind of interesting you mention that because I was actually talking to John Nato about this a few days ago about having an abundance of songs and being able to really hone in on the which ones are the, are the good ones, right? You know, because it's, you know, it's better to have, you know, 
everybody wants that 15 songs on an album or 17 songs, but if you got 10 really good ones, you know, like those are the ones you should go with. How do you filter that through? How is that process for you guys of determining which ones are the ones that you need to keep going with and the ones that maybe just need a little bit more time to cook in the oven? I think for most, it was pretty natural, but the best test is to, once you finish the demo, not listen to the song for a few days, work on something else. And then if you come back to it and it's still good, then you're onto something. Uh, because when you're working on something and you're a little too close to it, um, you, you tend to feel attached to it and it's hard to admit that it's something's maybe not working. Um, so if you, if you distance yourself a little bit and you come back to it and it's still stuck in your head and you still like it, then you know you're cooking on something. The debut album came out October 27th. It's the first release in King Falcon's history for a full EP, a full LP. What was that like going in the studio for the first time? You guys talked about how you created your sound and the demos, but going in a studio for the first time can be intimidating, can be a rush of energy. How did you guys settle in? How did you guys, you know, record this music? So we, we're very comfortable in the studio. Uh, and I, I should probably let James talk about this because I mean, James and I have been recording together since we were kids and James is like the recording extraordinaire. He engineered the record. That I did. Um, yeah. So I mean, pretty much we, we've been, we've been in studios our entire lives, Tom included. Um, you know, separately, obviously, but, um, you know, we, we recorded the whole thing at MySpace. Um, we came in and we were really ready to do it. Um, everything was done essentially in the, in the demo stage. It was just a matter of turning it into it, you know, a real true recording. Um, and we did that. We, we recorded all 11 songs in about six, seven days, I believe it was. Um, we were in there from morning to night. Um, we were with our producer, Marshall Altman, who's amazing, um, super talented. And he is perfect at telling us when something is enough. Cause we're all a little bit of perfectionists. You know, and I think yeah, that's the it's like thing the, you start with the pencil sketch, uh, and that's kind of what the demos are, and the final recordings are the oil painting. You know, and it's very easy to get lost in a detail or to you know, um, you worry a little too much about which shade of red is opposed to taking a step back and and kind of taking the whole picture in. Uh, but but you can dive into these sorts of details when you're doing the final recordings in a way that you can't when you're doing the demos. And by the way, um. We recorded it in one week, but that was after uh, like a two year long writing process of cutting stuff out and, you know, changing ideas and changing melodies. It's not like we wrote the whole album in, in one week, um, but I'm, I'm, I'm pretty stoked that we were able to do it in that amount of time because uh, it's uh, it's not easy. Yeah, I was going to say about the, the album taking a while, you know, we were writing for uh, uh, you know, for me, it was more like a year for them. It was a little longer, maybe two years, um, just because that's when I joined. But the cool thing about recording the album was finally seeing everything kind of come together because you're writing with all different producers and at di you're recording at different times. And just by that logic, like these demos that we were writing had very different vibes and very different energies to them. So getting into the studio and recording all of them at once, like in a little batch and kind of working them on them all together helped make them all feel like the same album. And that's when like that week and the months after like getting the mixes and stuff, that's when the album's identity really like started to show itself. So that's like a cool part of, that was a cool part of, I think the recording process. Yeah. That's actually, that, that hits the nail on the head. It's sort of like, I think the best way to think about it is if you're taking a bunch of pictures from a camera on different days and you go back and you look at them, all the coloring on each different day is going to really feel different based on the weather and the time of day. But if you go and you have a photo shoot in one hour, right, all of those photos are going to feel very much like they belong together. So when we went and did that one week long recording, we, we just sort of reported what we sounded like during that week. It was just that moment. And, and it, it's just that's what we printed on the final record. So um, being able to do it all together. Yeah, like Tom said, made it all sound really cohesive. And that's when they went from being a bunch of demos to an album. You mentioned being perfectionist. How do you guys get out of your own way? <laughs> uh, you have to limit yourself on time. Um, you know, if you have a million years to do something, it's very easy to get lost in the details and, and not move on. But when you're limited to just having seven days, which was how long Marshall was in New York for, um, 
you've got to keep it rolling. You have to make decisions on stuff. So uh, also having a producer who is as confident as Marshall is super helpful because when he says something sounds good, all of us know it's going to sound good. Uh, and when he says something's not working, um, we know that we're not going to waste any more time on it. And we're just going to keep rolling. Yeah. I think it also comes down to knowing that like, if, if other people all kind of agree on something and you're not agreeing, like there might be an issue. So that's why the three piece thing is good. If I'm like overplaying or if I did something that's like maybe a little too much or whatever, or a little too, maybe I'm hyper-focusing on something that I don't really need to. If they, if there's two other people at least that are like, nah, dude, it's fine. Or like, nah, dude, try something else. I know that like, just by pure ratio, like they might have a point, you know, like most people, if two out of three people think this, like, in in this room, you know, maybe two out of three people in the world might also agree. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. I find it interesting, the environment people like to record in. And I've heard so many different answers. Some people like tension. Some people like to have that creative tension within a within a studio that kind of helps them get most out of their creativity. Some like a relaxed environment. What do you guys prefer? Do you like having a producer that pushes you? I mean, I've had conversations with guys that tell me that they went home and got in the shower after a day in the studio and like broke down. But they knew what they did was the right thing for the album, the right thing for the song, but they were pushed to, you know, to feel emotions. Maybe they weren't expecting to feel. Do you guys, I don't want to say enjoy it, but do you guys understand that what might be best for the music might be best for your sound? Is that tension or do you like more of a relaxed environment? Do you guys work under? You know, I, I think it kind of like Tom said, it's about mutual respect. Um, you know, when you're in the room with three other people who have spent a whole lifetime writing music, and I say three because we also had a producer with us who, again, spent a lifetime writing music and uh, producing music and recording music. Um, if the other three people in the room are telling you that y- you got to change something, then those three people who have dedicated their lives to doing this and have the best interest of the project at heart might have a point. 
Um, and that's really what it is more than anything else, you know, and, um, it's, it's easy to, you know, take stuff personally sometimes, but, uh, you just got to power through it and just be professional. And that's, uh, that's really it, man. I mean, it's, it, it's art. So obviously, you know, sometimes, uh, maybe there's a lyric that you insist upon that, that is personal to you and it's just not working. Um, or, uh, you know, you just have a, a melodic idea that you're really stuck on and everybody's not vibing with it and you, you just don't want to let it go because you spent a whole lot of time working on it. Stuff like that happens. And, uh, it, yeah, I mean, you just can't let it ruin your day and you got to keep moving. That's really it. I think that, um, in terms of like pressure and like, uh, you know, what do we, how do we work? I feel like it's kind of, I think we do thrive under a little bit of pressure. And I think that the band's general ethos when it comes to writing is a little more spontaneous, a little more like, don't waste too much time on an idea too early on. Like, and I'm saying this coming from other bands and other, having been in other projects myself. And when I came into this band, I noticed that pretty quickly of like, like all right, that's not working. Let's try something else or like play something. You know, it was just very like off the cuff and spontaneous. And that's, part of what drew me to the band too because it's easy to overthink as a musician so i think having a little bit of pressure and a little bit of fire for us is a good thing but it's kind of just like you just spit it out and and maybe forget about it like mike said for a week come back to it later and just take it from there you know like don't don't get too crazy over things too early i want to touch on what something you just said a lot of artists have self-doubt right it's normal you you play something you don't think maybe it, was it your first initial reaction is it's great and then well maybe it's not great maybe it maybe it wasn't good maybe i need to do better and it's 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 all artists are like that you always have that feeling like are you leaving something on the table could it be better could you get to another level with it how do you guys overcome that because that can that can really lock in an artist in the in, a, in the same place for a while because you can get so caught up on thinking that what you just did wasn't you're not happy with it and not even if people are saying it's good there still has to be that battle within you know what i mean how do you overcome something like that i think it i think that i think what you're talking about is like songwriting confidence like being being able to write something and then being like feeling good about it definitively. And I personally feel like that just comes from experience, like from writing a shit ton of songs for years, from being in bands that those songs are, uh, you know, like, you know, you're playing these songs at shows, you're seeing people's reactions to these songs. Then you write, then you're with another band and you guys write another 10 songs and you see how they do online and you see again, how they gauge it shows and you kind of just start to get a better sense of what kind of songs work the best when you write them and which ones don't. And over time, I feel like you just start to be able to trust yourself more and know like, okay, this thing is kind of like that song that I wrote that a lot of people liked and I'm getting the good energy from it. And yeah, this feels good. This one feels kind of like that song that people didn't really react to so maybe it's not that great of an idea you know i that's kind of what i think i think it just comes from like practice and experience yeah i also think you're your own worst critic um you know record a voice memo of yourself talking and listen back to it and you'll be like man my voice sounds so weird and record a whole album uh and if you if you can manage to write something that's good enough where you don't go back and think damn my voice sounds stupid on this it's probably pretty good because you're your own worst critic once again the debut album came out october 27th and i'm talking to king falcon what was the biggest thing you learned about making this album that's a tough one learned one of the biggest things we learned through making it yes Could be about the band, could be about yourselves. I, I I think the thing that we learned is that no matter how small of a timeline you give us for something, we'll figure out a way to do it. Uh, because we had plenty of writing sessions where we only had half hour or something to write a song and we always got, we always got it done. Uh, and I, I think the perfect example of that is actually Rabbit Gets the Gun. Um, so 
we had shown up to Nashville uh, for a writing session. And normally we like to write in the room together. We, we don't like to have songs written for us because that's like not really our style. But we had showed up and there was a song kind of written for us. And we had spent some time demoing that out. Um, and it was okay. It was, it was decent, but we had another like 25, 30 minutes left at the end of the session. And we used that time to write rabbit gets done from scratch. And that ended up being one of the songs that made the album that everybody dug and actually got some pretty good reception. Uh, and it's funny cause everything about that song was kind of last minute. Cause we, we pretty much forgot about that song until the first day <laughs> of, uh, the recording, we all went into the studio and uh, we're going through the demos one last time. And we get to Rabbit Gets the Gun. And our producer's like, wait a second, guys. How is this not on the album? We got, we guys got to go record this right now. So, um, yeah, I mean, that, that, that ended up making it pretty much last minute last on the record. Minute, so yeah, I, I think that's really um, the thing that we learned that we can do. And it's, it's kind of a, a, a superpower of ours. But I think it's also something that's super necessary in this industry because you do have to kind of improvise. And sometimes you have a lot less time than you would like. And that's why I say that when you're working on um, any sort of musical, musical project or any project, giving yourself a timeline, giving yourself a deadline is actually super important. Uh, otherwise, you spend forever doing something and you, you get into this. I, I know so many musicians are guilty of uh, spending forever working on an album and it kind of feels like it never comes out. Um, and you, there's a couple things, uh, but, but more importantly, you have to put it out so that you can grow and start working on the next thing. Yeah. Like as soon as we finish that record we're already cooking up the second record and we have ideas and, and, and we already think that the second record is going to be better than the first. And if you don't have that in you as an artist, then, um, you know, you, you can't really do this anymore because you, you want to keep moving the needle forward and you want to keep growing and you want to keep exploring new things. So, uh, you kind of have to give yourself a timeline because you have to give yourself the ability to move on and grow. So that's the thing I think we learned, uh, that was most profound. When you're doing what you just spoke of thinking of the next thing, think of the next idea. How do you stay present and connected with the music that you've already made? Well, I, I think that's pretty easy because um, a lot of the stuff that we write about is very personal. Like pretty much all the songs on the record are about stuff that we've lived or stuff that we've seen. Um, so every time you go and you perform the songs, I mean, you, you feel that way again. So it, you, you never really feel detached from the songs. I mean, you, you make it and it just becomes, um, it becomes one of your children, whether it's one of the new ones or one of the old ones, you know, it just kind of gets added to the pile. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't, I, I haven't ever felt disconnected yeah, from anything that I've written. And it doesn't even, it doesn't have to be lyrically even like as the singer, obviously you feel connected to the lyrics, but even as a drummer or a bass player, as long as you're inflecting some of your personality and your own musical style into the parts, then it's going to be easier to stay connected and attached to them because then it kind of feels like a little, yeah, like your little thing, your middle school yearbook photo. Yeah, plus, you, plus you get off. to reimagine stuff live. I mean, that's what the whole live show is about. Um, sometimes we go back and we listen to those recordings and we hear stuff that we didn't do and we get to do it live, you know, so you get to hear a whole bunch of extra stuff that we didn't um, think about think doing, it. you know, so just just like reimagining stuff so i little things like that number one make each show kind of special uh and number two make it more fun for us how have the shows been i mean being in a van being in closed quarters doing the grind that i love seeing a new band do what's that been like for you guys great we played a fantastic show in grand rapids at mulligan's pub uh we had a really good turnout just a killer night uh we have a show tomorrow night in nashville we're really excited. We're playing at Cobra with uh, Gloom Girl, and it's going to be really exciting. I think it's going to be a good show. Should have a good turnout Friday night in Nashville. What's not to like? Yeah, it's been awesome. You get to meet a lot of local bands too, and you just get to meet a lot of people in general that you wouldn't meet otherwise. So you get you just form new connections, and um, they're they're really good connections for the band, you know, even if not necessarily industry people or whatever, it could just be a, you know, a random person that came to the show. If you have a conversation with them, like it's a high quality interaction. Um, we, so we met a kid, we met a kid named Grady in, uh, Omaha, Nebraska. He made his dad drive four hours out to come see us at Des Rocks. Uh, and he knew Ready, Set, Go. He knew all the lyrics, and it was the coolest thing for us because it was like our first like legit fan from out of New York. 
Um, so it was, it was pretty cool. So sometimes you have moments like that, that make it all worth it. And, uh, yeah, that's really special. So if he ever sees this, he's the man. We love that kid. (laughs) Well, that's another question too, right? You just mentioned that, which is a great story. I love that. Right. Cause you know, there's, there's no, uh, there's no boundaries for rock and roll and seeing a kid from Nebraska, you know, doing that and, and driving that way. How does that Obviously, it's a good feeling for you guys, but that's kind of like the outer body experience, right, of playing live and going out and doing the grind and having an experience like that. That's got to be like a wow moment, like someone's listening to my music outside of where we're from. People are showing up. How does that I mean, how do you guys deal with that emotionally because i mean it's got to give you kind of like a natural high a natural charge yeah i mean that, that's totally what it is because a, a lot of times you know we do a lot of marketing of the music and we, we play shows and we like make the tiktoks and the videos and all that stuff like that and and sometimes when you're just surrounded by the same people that you see every day you, you feel like it's not really getting anywhere like when the spotify listeners go up that that number is just a number it doesn't mean anything when the followers go up it's just a number it doesn't mean anything but when you actually see people in person who go yes i've heard this song before and i'm really excited to see you guys you're like wait a second all that stuff is actually kind of real um, and, and it's surreal for a moment because it, it's, it's hard to believe. It's like the, the next level in Guitar Hero where you, you have fans now, which is kind of crazy. And, uh, and I know it sounds cliche to say, but the fans really do make it all worth it because the whole point of this is to have somebody care about the music. Otherwise, you know, what, what's it for? Absolutely. You know, you have to, you always have to, have those questions like when you're writing music and you're in the studio and you're putting it out, like you said, you know, the grind for a new band these days isn't just getting in a van and going on tour. It's the grind of your social media, uh, make keeping people interested and growing your audience through that. Hopefully that translates to people coming out to the show. You know, that's, it all kind of intertwines with each other these days. And it's a lot more work for a band, especially an independent band that, you know, you guys got in this to make music. You didn't get into it to make reels and TikTok videos and all that kind of stuff. And it can be a hard balance for a new band that maybe is kind of res- resisting doing that stuff because they just, you guys just want to play the music and write music. Is that right? You know, it's just that, uh, it's more that sometimes it, it feels very impersonal. You know, it's not quite as direct. Like when you're at a show and you play, uh, and you see somebody in the crowd who's like really vibing and having a good time, um, you see right away directly the effect that what you're doing is having. Like uh, social media is a little bit removed. So sometimes you do stuff and and you start to wonder to yourself, do people really see this? Um, you know, like are people really reacting to this? Uh, and that is kind of, that, that one instance was proof that somebody is actually seeing it, reacting it, uh, reacting to it. So it, it's cool. When you look at the songs on the album and, and you hear the album for the first time, Obviously, you're proud of the work that you guys did, but what stood out on that first listen? You know, was there a particular song? Was it sonically? Was it the band's energy? What was it? What stood out for you guys? I think it was really just how cohesive it was. And that that comes back to what we were talking about earlier. Just being able to do everything in such a short amount of time really made it so like that, you know, while each song has their own identity, they're part of a collective whole. You know, and I think that goes the same thing for each of us, too. Like, our music styles are completely different, but put us together and we're King Falcon. Yeah, it's cool. We've we've done a lot of recording, but this is the first time that we've made an album. Uh, so to be able to actually sit and listen to the whole thing beginning to end and have it be one idea. And, you know, it's like it's a little bit like when you're sitting there and you're watching the rocket go up and it makes it into the 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 um i don't know stratosphere the stratosphere yeah i was i figured you would know this as soon as the rocket goes into space right you're all standing there looking at it and you're thinking dang we really did this thing and that's kind of how it felt you know because the whole time we were assembling the rocket we weren't sure if it was going to blow up or if it was going to work and then finally we got there and all of us were like oh wait a second (laughs) we really made this thing so that that was my impression What's next? You guys are currently on tour right now. How much longer is the tour for you guys? And is there anything coming after that? Sure. So we've got this show in Nashville tomorrow. We have a show back in New York on the 17th. Uh, and then we're actually going to be back in the studio again, doing some demoing and writing. Uh, we're working on booking a tour for next year, but we don't have any solid dates yet. 
as always, uh, we will post all that stuff on our social medias, Instagram, Facebook, um, TikTok, all, all that stuff. So we will post tour dates first. And as far as, you know, music release, what kind of merch can someone get at your show? Ah, uh, yes, we have a whole bunch of fresh merch. It's really exciting. You can get it at our website if you can't make it to a show. So we've got four t-shirt designs. One of them is a, is a rejected album cover. It was uh, like one of the first drafts. It's really cool. It's like a graffiti crown. Uh, we have two ringer t-shirts. One that's the album cover. It's like cream uh, with black uh, binding on the edges. Uh, then we have a classic black and white King Falcon shirt, but it has white. Uh, it's like a white edge ringer tee. It's really cool. Uh, and then we have our classic Mr. King Falcon shirt, which is a beat King Falcon himself. He's in the throne. Uh, I've also got a bunch of little knickknacks and stickers and pins and uh, bottle openers and things. And we do sell all of that on our website. And if you buy from us, that would be amazing. You'd be supporting small business uh, and you'd help put some gas in our van. So that would be great. Absolutely. Absolutely. Go buy that merch because that really is the lifeline for a new band out there, an independent band. They really do need that. The days of the big advances with the record contract contracts are no longer there. Um, the album supports the tour, whereas it used to be the tour supports the album. So these young bands are out there grinding. They're out there doing it. So when you go see a show or you like what you hear, and you can't go see them, go order their stuff on the website because that's so, so important to what they do. And the band's website and all their social media links will be in the show notes. So when you're done listening, just scroll down a little bit and you'll be able to click on the links and it'll lead you right to wherever you want to go in terms of King Falcon. Last question, oh, yeah. guys, for you. Um, what, each of you, what's your favorite song on the album? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I say this at pretty much every show. My favorite song is On Your Soul. Uh, I think it's the most different from all the other songs because it's a little bit more spacey and it's a little bit more uh, it's a little bit more of a ballad. Um, but for me personally, just the guitar tones on that song, uh, it was just like more than any of the others came out exactly how I had in mind. And it was the one that I was just like really obsessive over. Um, and I think that all of the little kind of glistening stuff in the back and, and like textural stuff around the song really makes it. And that's my personal song. Also, Tom did a monster job on those drums, which really drive the whole song. Uh, so that was my personal favorite. Yeah, that's a great one. I think for, as a listener, everybody's down is my favorite. Um, just get stuck in my head. The easiest as like the musician, the drummer of the band, I feel like Soul Sucker is one of my favorites to play just because I also just like that drum part and I like how it came out. Um, it, the, that's the kind of song where if you just listen to the drum track by itself, it kind of has its own songwriting going on within, within it. Um, so I'm just kind of proud of that one and it's super fun to play live. So yeah, everybody's down in Soul Sucker. Yeah, and I think for me, it's a tie between Everybody's Down and Ready, Set, Go. Um, they're both a really good showcase of just bare bones, like what we're all about. You know, it's really, the, the songwriting is really concise and to the point. Um, and it just gets across like what, what we are as a band. It's like an energy. Yeah, yeah. James makes a good point there. Um, that's kind of our whole thing is that we're, we're very concise as a band. Uh, I think we're really focused on the hook and we're really focused on making stuff that's cool and hard hitting uh and just kind of yeah just kind of gets to the point well tom michael and jason it's been a blast thanks again for doing this i do appreciate it no thanks, problem appreciate everyone that is the band king falcon go check out their debut album released october 27th on all streaming sites don't forget to look at the show notes and follow the links to wherever you want to go on social media or to their website and get that merch if you like what you hear and i know you will i'm jay scott this has been another episode of the hook rocks the ultimate rock community podcast thanks again for tuning in stay safe stay healthy take care of each other and we will talk soon thank you
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.